Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this episode, we're going to discuss Menagerie, the 12th episode of the fourth season of Supergirl. So Carr and Jean spent a lot of time together in this episode, which is something I was looking forward to based upon the promotional photos and something I love in any episode of Supergirl. Yeah, and we don't get that many scenes of them together too often, especially with Kara outside of the Supergirl persona. So this was a treat. It sure was. And so Jean came over to CatCo and he had an observation. He said that it looks like an actual newsroom now, which was funny and kind of meta in a way, because as a viewer, I've been waiting for the show Supergirl to dive into the reporting aspects more so since like season two. So this looks like an actual newsroom. It feels like baby steps toward getting the storylines I so desire. Maybe. Maybe. Well, I only say that because next week looks like it's kind of back to the uh superhero heavy yeah. dealing with the bad guys stuff so we'll see we shall see there are some episodes left yes this one was the official midpoint of the season mm-hmm. so out of 23 episodes we are officially halfway through so we have half of the season to give me my dreams <laughs> it was funny because this episode mentioned the main storylines for the like three main characters summing up maybe our expectations as we went into the season like Kara embracing her reporter side more and like stating and pursuing adoption and John interacting more with the people of National City. Yeah, so this episode mentioned all of those things, but kind of like filling us in on the fact that all of it happened off screen. Yeah, like we've seen Kara like sort of work on articles, but we haven't seen a lot of her publishing articles. No, and even going back all the way to the last couple of seasons, like we'll hear about the fact that she's published stuff, but we've never actually seen her deal with the reaction people have to her writing, so it kind of doesn't feel real. Yeah. There's no like follow through. I can't imagine she's not getting hate mail from these crazy people because she publishes all kinds of pro alien stuff, Mm -hmm. especially after she went on that counterpoint show against Lockwood. Mm -hmm. I mean, we saw with Amade earlier in the season how there was sort of a pushback, but that was like contained in the episode. And we don't really have that sort of final beat where the stuff that she worked on at work, like the articles that she says that she's pursuing, we don't have that note where she publishes it and then she sees how it goes. Yeah. And that's a little bit disappointing just in the sense that the show has made so much more of an effort to kind of pull in socially relevant stuff. And there have been a lot of attacks against journalists in the last couple of years because of the way they have been disparaged publicly. Mm So it would be nice to see a little bit more follow through on like the social repercussions of some of the articles that Kara publishes. Mm-hmm. And speaking of follow through also with Jean and his storyline of with his support group mm. and helping aliens as a private eye. Like for instance, in this episode, we see him interact with a woman at the beginning who asks for his help, but then we never see him get back to her. And we also kind of have like a, here's a summary of what's been going on with Jean in that storyline where he's like, here are all the Valentine's gifts that I got for helping all these people, but we didn't get to really dive into those individual circumstances. But it's also a storytelling decision to be like, okay, we didn't show you guys this, but this still needs to be said, so we're going to do it now. (laughs) And again, with Alex, she mentions how she initially dated a lot. But what I liked about this episode was it felt like them recognizing that they haven't kept up with these storylines and hopefully they'll from this point continue on (laughs) and we'll see Alex date and we'll see Jean interact with more aliens and hopefully (laughs) we'll see Carr work on some articles. So like we didn't see that much obviously of all this period of time where Alex was kind of taking those risks and putting herself out there and focusing on herself before the start of season four. But that one to me feels a little bit more intentional than some of the other stuff that we have missed mm-hmm. about seeing the follow through on Kara and her work as a journalist, for example, yeah. because that's actually part of Alex's series long character journey. And as we saw in this episode, there are some built in flaws there that she needs to mm-hmm. deal with. And that was a big focus. So that was nice. Yeah. Which in this episode, John picks up on Alex's distress and eventually Kara as well. And so they, they try to help each other with uh, one of our favorite coping mechanisms at Supergirl's Attic, food. Yes. <laughs> on this wonderful holiday full of candy, <laughs> sweet food, Kara's favorite kind. They celebrate the best part of Valentine's Day. Uh, <laughs> they sure do. And they celebrate the best holiday related to Valentine's Day, which is Super Discount Candy Day. <laughs> Right under Thanksgiving for best holiday. Kara's second favorite holiday. Uh, third being Halloween, because also candy. So Kara initiates the food cycle. Ha ha cycle. 
Yes. She brings Jean this like bouquet of candy and has her own as well, uh, which is a nice like parallel moment with the previous episode in which she had her own plate of donuts. <laughs> so that's always fun to have. And then when Cara recognizes that Alex is sad, uh, she hands her very last <laughs> marshmallow to her, which is kind of a big deal. It is. Cara doesn't <laughs> like to share her food, although she will yes. sometimes. <laughs> on occasion. And then in a nice moment later on after Alex leaves and Jean recognizes that Cara is upset and gives her one of his marshmallows that she initially gave to him. So the, the candy brings them together, Space Fam. And then we also saw Cara hanging out with Jean and having ice cream, which was both sweet and sad because we usually see her eat ice cream with Alex mm. when she's in a bad mood. Yeah. Well, that's just a sign that, you know, she's branching out her ice cream eating pail. She's learning how to have other connections to talk about the things that bother her most. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of excellent Space Fam moments in this episode, but it was also interesting to see our Space Family juxtaposed with the Lockwood family. Within this episode, Kara is giving Nia some advice and she says, I hid who I was for far too long because of my family. Even Alex didn't think it was a good idea at first. And this made me sort of re-examine the messages that Kara got growing up. Um, we've discussed how Eliza emphasized to her that she needed to like get an education and mature intellectually and emotionally. Yes. Eliza said in the Midvale episode, in the flashbacks with young Car and Alex, I've been trying to tell you it is not your job to protect people. You're just a kid. So she emphasizes Car's age and primarily uses that as the reason that she can't go flying off with Clark and become a superhero. And then on the other hand, we see with Jeremiah Jean in the Midvale episode when he shapeshifts into the FBI agent and Alex, they emphasize like what would happen if people found out about her, found out that she's an alien, essentially. Alex says, for example, in the pilot episode, what if people figure out who you are, what you are, it's just not safe for you to do anything like that ever again. So there's this idea of like, no one can ever know like what I am versus like, you're too small to be doing these things. And the first idea of like, I have to hide who I am, I read as the primary reason that Kara doesn't pursue being a superhero until she gets that push in the pilot episode. Well, and especially after the events that we see in like the season one flashback where she tries to help and Alex gets hurt and then we see again in the Midvale episode in the flashback where she tries to help and Alex almost dies twice. Mm-hmm. When Jean shapeshifts into an FBI agent to talk to Kara, he links people finding out who she is to endangering the people that she loves. Which could be him drawing on his own belief that that's how people reacted to him. Yeah. Actually, much more than understanding about Kara. Mm-hmm. Although we don't know much about how much he really knew or worked with Clark at that point either. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it in the Jean episode, how he has all this experience with people judging him for being an alien and attacking him and, you know, his experiences on Mars, obviously. So makes sense as a motivation, a way that he sees the world. And I think that if Kara had just been thinking, you know, it's because I'm too young, then obviously when she got older, she would maybe pursue it. And she, knowing Kara, probably feels guilty about things like a season one flashback in Manhunter, episode 17. She was being interviewed for her assistant position at Kekko. Mm. And there was the fire in the background and she looks at it like kind of longingly and you know if there had only been the fact that she was too young keeping her back then i think at that point she would have started to pursue it maybe from around like me's age for example yeah and i was gonna say there's a little bit of a nice contrast with nia's family as well where like okay they her mom missed the fact that nia was the one who had the powers but they were always very open about the idea that the powers were a thing and that eventually Mm. one of the girls would need to learn how to use them yes which we'll talk a little bit later about the parallels between how Kara perceives what Allura would want for her and what Nia's mother wants for her. And then the other family that we can contrast the Danvers family with is obviously the Lockwood family in this episode. Lockwood says to his son George, he says, well, then be a man, a man of action. Be the man that your grandfather wanted me to be. And we met his grandfather. Yeah. Oh, R.I.P. racist grandpa. <laughs> You were a terrible person and Lockwood is giving his son terrible advice. Yep. And so he's telling his young son to be a man, essentially grow up and take on this huge responsibility. It's the very opposite thing that Eliza instills in Kara when she's young. 
Oh, related to that, just the fact that you mentioned that the son looks young. One thing I actually really appreciate about Supergirl is they have cast all their teenage roles as actual teenagers, mm. yeah. as opposed to like the trend on older CW shows where everybody was secretly 25. So nice. Yeah. Well, that's also essential for the other thing that I like about this storyline that I find interesting. He's sort of a tool to demonstrate how toxic ideologies can affect children, yep. which is not as impactful if your teenager looks like the Riverdale teenagers. And then also with the language of like, be a man, a man of action, it's interesting to see that concept of like toxic masculinity and encouraging a young kid to become more violent and that that makes you a man. And that Lockwood perceives his own career and all the things that he did before he became Agent Liberty as not living up to what it means to be a man. Mm, Yeah. And then in terms of the Danvers family versus the Lockwood family, the Danvers, as we discussed, tried to keep Kara like safe and hidden and out of the public eye. And then Lockwood is encouraging his kid to like go public and be the face of this hate movement and to stand in front of cameras. And it was also interesting though, because Lockwood's son has that privilege essentially that he can go out and do that and then not face any repercussions versus Kara, who is just, you know, living her life as herself and not hurting anyone when she was a kid, had to keep her very existence a secret. And then another contrast that I found really interesting was Lockwood's speech to his son when he says, but then an opportunity can present itself and like a switch your whole world changes and you find clarity and focus and strength like you've never known, which could easily be describing Kara saving Alex from the crashing plane in the pilot episode. Yeah, which is an interesting observation because we get the context in the scene where the Lockwoods are visiting him in jail that his son wants to do something to help him. Like Mm -hmm. his motivation isn't necessarily the movement, it's his dad. Yes. Kind of like that time Alex went and did extreme bad things because she wanted to help her dad. <laughs> mm. And then, you know, with Kara and Alex, Alex was the motivation for Kara coming out and becoming a hero. And even with Nia having that sort of moment of embracing what one thinks their path is, she's also thinking about what her mother would want. So that's an interesting observation. But with those couple sentences, Lockwood says to his son in prison, they were fairly similar to what Coville had said in season three to Kara when he was in prison. He says to Kara, when I looked into your eyes that night on the plane, you were clear and free. That same sort of idea of clarity and focus that Lockwood mentioned. Yeah. Well, and I think that's true because in that moment, that was probably the clearest Kara's motivation was. I mean, not that she doesn't have like a whole ideology that she follows as well as Supergirl, but like she had one very simple objective in that particular moment and she achieved it. Well, I think that the moment he's talking about like her standing on the plane Mm. was the moment of her recognizing like recognizing like this is what i want to do this is the time yes so Kara's motivation for initially becoming supergirl was alex and now we're seeing her grappling with alex not knowing that she is supergirl and not knowing that she's an alien basically not taking part in half of her life (laughs) or a large majority of it (laughs) the way the show (laughs) is written most of her life (laughs) someone in sbf described it as secret identity hijinks but like sad (laughs) aren't the secret identity hijinks always sad because she's lying to someone (laughs) true but she's usually not as um she doesn't feel as bad about it usually yeah she was really excited when alex said uh, like we're so she included Kara and jean in her description of where she was going (laughs) and Kara's like really excited about it taking it as sort of a sign that she is going to include her and it kind of reminded me of a very like little sister moment right like i get to go with the big kids (laughs) you're gonna take me out to the beach (laughs) yeah and like that was such a cute little moment but it also reinforced one of the bigger themes that was going on in this episode which was again something that's very much a part of Kara's like work ethic, which is working as a team and recognizing that you're stronger when you're with other people mm-hmm. versus trying to work alone and accomplish things separately. Yeah. So we had a very literal example of that with the fusing of the uh, space alien snake <laughs> creature thing. And it's human host. Yes. <laughs> they were going by menagerie at the point you said this quote. You know nothing of the symbiosis that comes from being a part of a team. She said that to Carr, which was funny because Carr is like really wants to be part of Alex's team. But then it's also ironic because Nia literally just walked away and she's also a part of the team. But we see in this episode Carr grappling with the idea that she might have to work separately from Alex, which she finds to be 
scary. But I don't think because she doesn't think that she can handle the things that the world will throw at her so much as she fears being alone, which ties into her whole abandonment sort of core belief. Well, and she also has never really faced like a a really big challenge in her life where she couldn't go to Alex for support. Like Alex has always been right there with her. Mm. And we know Kara doesn't like change. (laughs) Yes. Well, at this point, I'm just saying like her motivation isn't like, I need you to be my emotional support. Although we are seeing her sort of branch out. Yeah. I'm not saying like it's because she feels like she needs it. It's just that she recognizes that it's absent and that makes her feel lonely. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't know what to do to replace that, like to fill in that, uh, to fix that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Hole. Ouch. <laughs> I was trying to say it nicer. <laughs> I'm just thinking about when she described how Alex came into her life, how she would walk around with a dull pit and then Alex filled it. And now... <laughs> now I'm thinking of the pit from Parks and Rec. Oh, <laughs> the literal okay. pit. Look what you've done. <laughs> But it's interesting. It's always interesting to see Kara have to face her like abandonment issues because we time after time see her value her feelings of responsibility toward her loved ones and toward the world more so than that deep seated fear that she has of being abandoned because her feelings of responsibility are just as deep tying into, as we've talked about at length, her losing her planet and then having responsibility placed on her shoulders by her mother. And in this episode, we see Kara feeling guilty for how Alex is feeling in this episode. In season two, we saw Kara face the idea that her own needs sort of eclipsed Alex growing into the person that she sort of naturally is. And then Kara took steps to make sure that she doesn't barge in and start off with her own problems when Alex is also at the same time seems upset and sort of having that reciprocity in their relationship. So this is sort of an extension of that idea where now Kara is seeing how deeply this feeling that Alex has of needing to prioritize Kara's safety over her own life goes. So it's growth for Kara to recognize Alex's needs, but the point isn't that it's Kara's fault. Which Jean, in a lovely parental way, reminds her that it isn't her fault. Mm -hmm. As Alex says, it's not you. I need to start trusting that people can also protect themselves. Yeah, and what's really cool about that, and where for as much as the mind wipe is like painful because it throws off all of our understandings in some ways of this character dynamic, is that by not remembering what has kept derailing her life, Alex now has the room to see that it's a problem Mm. and also to recognize the parts where she's contributing to it being a problem. Mm -hmm. She's always, her first instinct is to help people. We talked about this actually a couple episodes ago and how it's kind of built into who she is as a character at the very base level. Like, Her instinct is to protect other people. And she said, you know, whether they want me to or not. Mm -hmm. Which is something she has in common with Kara. (laughs) Yes. It's the same drive, but um, sort of localized in different ways where Kara is very outwardly like, I'm going to protect any person I see in the street, whether they want me to or not. And Alex also has that drive in terms of like her being at the DEO. And as we saw in the alternate universe during the crossover, but her focus is... There's always something inherently personal to it. Mm -hmm. And her sort of inner circle of family is where that energy is most directed toward. Yeah, which is why it was kind of interesting to see in this episode that she's actually better able to focus on like her job and then being Kara's sister outside of her job, Mm. which seems weird. (laughs) But in the scene where Kara and Jean were with her when they went after Menagerie and Alex freaks out about Kara and Kara's like, no, it's just my coat, I'm fine. Mm. As soon as Kara is out the door and goes home, Alex is totally back to business and she can focus Mm -hmm. and had we not had this separation mentally for her I don't know that she would have been able to put things aside and get back to looking at like the stuff she needed to do as the director in quite the same way or to the same level kind of like how Brainy was talking about yeah only 85% of my mind is focused on this task but that's still the equivalent of you know 10 of your best people so I can get away with it (laughs) yeah (laughs) just wait till you see Alex with 100% of her attention on her job at the time. Right? We don't know what that looks like yet. It could be scary. Awesome. Oh. <laughs> Two different responses. <laughs> I like how you went with scary and I went with it's gonna be great. <laughs> Same thing, really. 
So we talk about like in terms of storylines that plot points should help characters to grow and develop them further or else they're filler and even good filler should grow the character or deepen our knowledge of the character more. And in this storyline, it's revealed that Alex could really benefit from learning to trust the car and protect herself and having that sort of mental separation that she doesn't always need to be thinking about her and worrying about her. Well, and she was just starting to get to that point shortly before the memory wipe happened. Remember when they had that phone call and Alex was like, are you okay? And then she's like, what am I saying? (laughs) Yeah. Yes, you are. And this is where we've been kind of joking that now that the mind wipe took away Alex's constant anxiety about what was happening to Kara as Supergirl, it's just reappeared in other places. Mm -hmm. And it seems like she's kind of finally starting to deal with that and and see it Mm -hmm. in the way that she kind of tries to like, she's not like micromanaging and being a control freak in a bad way, but she does have this tendency to take on other people's stress and to worry about stuff mm-hmm. excessively sometimes because she is so in tune with other people's feelings and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's interesting because Kara will get really involved in other people's problems, but... <laughs> Yes, she will. <laughs> I always feel like she doesn't internalize it as thoroughly as Alex does. Well, Kara's instinct is like she she sees other people's problems and she wants to help, but she doesn't also read it as like a personal failing mm. if her help doesn't work out or if she can't ultimately help. Yeah. Well, at least on an individual basis. I was going to say other than that time in season one when that person died because she didn't have her superpower. Yeah. So she will feel guilty in terms of like maybe broader problems, perhaps as, as Supergirl and not being able to act. And yeah, but in her life as Kara Danvers. Yes. And so hopefully by the end of this, assuming it does end. Uh, they've implied that it will. So <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming it will. Hopefully by the end of this, Alex will get her memories of Kara being Supergirl back and be able to cope with that fact better and Kara being attacked by aliens all the time. Well, the other part of what she said that was really important was she finally said out loud the fact that she neglects to take care of herself Mm -hmm. in the same way that she worries about everybody else. And that was like a sentence years in the making. Mm. So I was very happy about that scene. Yeah. And it's interesting because like, for instance, in season two, when Clark came to town and Alex said to Kara, well, you know, what about you also taking care of me? Why do you get to leave and run off after um, everything? It felt more like a tactic to get Kara to stay than... And Alex personally, like, admitting that she needs... She needs people, too. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) So this is definitely growth. It was. And the other thing, to go back to kind of what I mentioned before about the multitasking thing and that now that her focus isn't constantly being pulled, they also showed us examples of other characters maybe balancing their lives in a way that Alex was always convinced wasn't possible, not just with Brainy, but we had that little flash of Haley being like a human (laughs) being. Having a daughter and... Having a child young enough to need school projects that require glue guns. Hmm. And for as much as Alex maybe doesn't like her, it's also part of what sets her brain off on this track of recognizing that she backslid on a lot of the progress that she thought she'd made for herself over the summer and what have you. And she's like, okay, if even this person... can manage to have all of these things that I want for myself, then I must be doing something wrong or I need to take a hard look at my life yeah. because this isn't cool. <laughs> well, it's interesting you say, like, I must be doing something wrong because... That, that would be what she'd think. Because Alex is like, <laughs> she realizes that her life isn't the way that she wants it to be right now. And her first instinct is like, I guess I dropped the ball. Like, she phrases it as, like, a personal failure, which is classic Alex. (laughs) (laughs) It sure is. Yeah. But we also, because there were some questions at the end of the previous episode about kind of where Alex stands on this whole anti-alien, pro-alien divide. Mm -hmm. And to also go back to this idea of we had this kind of theme of of people working together versus working in isolation. Alex, we saw, A, understands that Supergirl isn't an enemy and B, is not averse to her helping them, Mm -hmm. even though she has seemed standoffish in the times that we've seen them work together, well, work near each other. (laughs) That phrasing is funny because that's what Kara says. We're still on the same team, just from a distance. (laughs) They're working adjacent. Yes. 
But yeah, she she says to Haley, Supergirl's not the enemy, Colonel. Well, essentially, and we we talked about this last time, she doesn't really know Supergirl at all as a person. Mm. So she has no reason to think of her as an ally in the way she considers Jean because mm-hmm. she's had the time to know him. But she still recognizes that Supergirl, at the end of the day, is on their side. Whereas Colonel Haley comes back to her and says, well, but Supergirl is an alien and we don't want to hand this victory to her. Mm. But Haley's reason for reacting that way was different this time, which was curious. It wasn't necessarily because of her own prejudices as because she's under increasing pressure from the president to make Lockwood and the Children of Liberty go away. And her point to Alex is A, that Supergirl being the one to help with this victory inflames those people's anger more, and that doesn't help anyone. But B, she's under pressure to show that the DEO can accomplish things without needing to rely on on Supergirl all the time. Yeah, which goes back to that idea of like working with a team versus working alone. Haley believes that they should learn how to solve their problems without Supergirl. And we see her go to Lena to do so, which we'll talk about later. And on the other side of this... um, And while the children are having their struggles, (laughs) poor Father Jean. (laughs) Papa Jean. He's trying his best to bring them together, to make them both feel better. Yes, Likely feels responsible. Maybe just a little. He was the one to wipe Alex's memory. And he says a thing about not being able to foresee the strife that is currently occurring. If only Nia had known how to use her power sooner. (laughs) Speaking of foreseeing. So Jean takes it upon himself to try to bring Alex and Kara together in some form. Get them to work together as Kara Danvers and Alex, the GEO agent. You had an interesting observation regarding Jean's observations about Car and Alex and, and their sadness. <laughs> yeah, there was some very nicely done deliberate wording in the scene with the three of them at the start of the episode when they're in Jean's office. When he's talking to Alex, he turns to her and he says, I sense some discontent in your voice. But when Alex leaves and he turns to Kara, he says, well, now you're looking discontent, mm-hmm. which is interesting because as we talked about when we did our character dive focused on Jean, he doesn't have access to Kara's thoughts and feelings in the same way that he does Alex's. And so the fact that the writing was very specific in saying, like, I sense something because he has powers that sense that that work for Alex Mm -hmm. versus having to just look at Kara and try to perceive that way because he doesn't have that extra in was nicely done. A fun sort of set piece that we spotted in the background was another photo, another family photo of Kara, Alex, and John on John's desk. Looks like from the same shoot as the other one that we posted on our Tumblr. So that was a nice touch. Maybe we'll post it later. So John really embraced his space dad father role in this episode in trying to get Kara and Alex to work together. And he was like, that's a good find, don't you think, Alex? Nice work, Kara. (laughs) And also you had that moment where he called Alex thinking that he'd have more ability to persuade her to work with them. And Alex kind of just blew him off and was like, oh, no, Brainy can help you with that. And just kept right on going. Just like, she redirected me to Brainy. <laughs> He's like offended. He was mildly offended in such a parental way. It was great. <laughs> yes. um, and I also really liked the Car and Jean um, little interactions in the episode, as we mentioned. You mean like their melancholy eye contact? Mm. <laughs> Alex, wow, I've never been to your office before, Car and Jean. <laughs> this is fine. <laughs> But we also had funny interactions. Yes. (laughs) So Kara and Jean were following up on a lead and approaching a house. And they were wondering, you know, if the husband of Jean's client was having an affair. And so Kara's like, oh, should I knock? Jean's like, well, they might be, you know. Uh, (laughs) And Kara's like, I can't use my x-ray vision. (laughs) The fear in her voice, because there have been a couple times when because of Kara's powers, she's seen things that she wish specifically a cacao that she wishes that she hadn't <laughs> so that was a nice touch of continuity and hilarity but speaking of john's client we saw a woman who was an alien come to him for his private investigator services and so she she walks in and Kara, in the background oh yeah you pointed this out to me this was amazing <laughs> her face is very much like who's this you know like what did you say you were like you sent it to <laughs> me and i said it reminded me of the scene in season one where she gets 
gets all excited about Senator Crane flirting with him mm-hmm. is very, it's like a similar energy to it. Yes. So it made me think of like Cora the matchmaker, which is a role she also played with Alex in this episode. Yes, that was equally delightful. <laughs> and her uh, getting the number for her and, and sort of encouraging her to approach, um, I don't remember her name either. <laughs> <laughs> Cycles is Alex, guys. She <laughs> tells you Kara is her favorite. Maybe well, that's, that's why. why. <laughs> <laughs> her name is Becca. Okay. Becca. <laughs> she helps her with Becca. And- well, that part's great because Kara's initially disappointed that she doesn't get to help yeah. with Alex's love life, which kind of goes back to the first episode of the season where Alex mentions that she's been on a date and then she's like, Kara, don't you dare start with that. <laughs> ah, delightful. So Alex has that interaction with Becca at a party that was hosted by Nia, who had her sort of hero debut in this episode, which is very exciting. Yes! That was like one of the best parts of the entire episode. I know I said I felt like last week they didn't give enough weight to Nia's moment, but this time it was actually genuinely really exciting. Mm -hmm. And I agree with Nicole Maines. Her costume is pretty great. (laughs) Yeah, her suit was great. It was blue. Blue is her color as well. Aw, that's cute. (laughs) And you noted that this time around her dreams were still literal. Yeah, so we saw in the dreams that she was having, when she went home to visit her family in the previous episode, there were a lot of these like weirdly abstract symbols that she didn't really know what to do with. And again, in this episode, when we see her in her own space and kind of more independent, her dreams are back to being very literal depictions of things that might happen mm-hmm. or that she might need to intervene in. Yeah. Um, it was really cute when she showed up and she got to deliver her like little witty superhero pun <laughs> and then kind of like early season one Kara recognized that she still has some things to learn. Yeah. And she nearly got smacked in the head, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But luckily she has Kara to help guide her. We saw various characters in the episode try to integrate Nia into the space fam or uh, the super friends. Brainy refers to it as mine and Supergirl's crime fighting family. The way they described the like super friends, this collection of people who have made each other their sort of found family in this episode a couple times has been associated with being a hero specifically. So like Car says, you're part of my family now and all heroes are welcome. But it was interesting to see Nia be sort of reluctant about it. Like after Kara says that, Nia smiles, but then she looks kind of sad after Kara leaves and she seems conflicted when Kara, Jean, Alex, and Brainy leave the party to go fight crime. Mm. She's watching sort of sadly. So it was nice to have that element of reluctance from Nia from a storytelling standpoint, sort of in contrast with Sam last season, who was very quickly integrated into the family dynamic, but it didn't feel quite organic. No. This adds another element that makes it more earned. Yeah, well, and especially too, because we've seen her and Car interacting so much since the first episode of the season. So, you know, we're halfway through now and we're only just getting to this point. It wasn't like last season when it was rushed in within, you know, three episodes. Mm -hmm. We see Kara pretty immediately when Nia comes on the scene early this season, try to take her under her wing and Kara becomes a sort of a mentor for Nia. In this episode, it was really cool to see them have a scene on the balcony, which was very reminiscent of Kara's scenes with Kat in season one and a little bit in season two. So that was neat to see. Car sort of inherit that role. It was also neat to see what we referenced before with Kara sort of relating to Nia. She says, just think about how much your mother loved you and what she would have wanted for you and try to honor that. And that's very close to how Kara feels about Alora and mm. how Alora told her to be extraordinary and, and to protect Cal. And Kara has interpreted that into this role that she has as Supergirl and feels like she's living up to that and honoring it. But then it also reminded me of Kara's scene with Sean in which she described her first hug with Eliza. Carr says, she said that my parents would want me to be loved. So in terms of Carr thinking about what parents want for their children, this concept of be a hero, but also be a part of a family and allow yourself to be loved, which is something that is good advice to 
give Nia at this point, who has the opportunity to both be a hero and to join a loving found family. Yeah, and it's also a nice contrast in terms of having Kara and Nia talking about what their parents would have wanted for them. And then that stands in contrast to the burden that Lockwood is putting on his son and Mm -hmm. pushing him into this really intense extremism. And then also you have Alex thinking about what she wants to do as a parent Mm. for the future. So there was a lot of, a lot of family theme in this episode. Yeah. So speaking of families being part of the fam. Yeah. We saw Nia throw, as Cara described it, a happening party. Cara, Cara trying to be hip with the youth lingo there. (laughs) The biggest sign that Cara has matured into an adult. Well, to be fair, she she was always that like level of awkward and separated. I know, but still. <laughs> we saw a group of people who Nia is presumably some level of close to. Well, she mentions that her roommate decided to throw the party in part to cheer her up, but obviously these are all people they know. So it was interesting to see the sort of group of people at the party, just from appearances, kind of get a queer community vibe. Yeah, and what I liked about it was the fact that it wasn't made in into a thing. Yeah. And it's nice to see some representation of a community since our sort of first representative of a queer person on Supergirl was Alex, who is very much like an introvert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and that was something fans have wondered about. Does she have connections to a broader community? And this episode very nicely, I thought, established the fact that yes, mm-hmm. particularly in the way that we saw how interconnected the whole queer community is because Nia and Alex are probably close to 10 years apart age-wise, but clearly we know they have overlapping acquaintances because the community itself typically tends to be tight-knit and is fairly small. The other part about that that amused me, because I've seen this in action many times, <laughs> when you are in a smaller community like that, it's, it's a lot harder to get away with ghosting people mm-hmm. because you will run into them. Oh, Alex. <laughs> probably multiple times. She'll be at the next party that they go to. (laughs) No, the next party is going to be someone else. (laughs) Someone else that Alex has dated. That's actually how we're going to (laughs) see the ghosts of Alex's past. We don't see Alex go on the dates. We just see the aftermath. Where we realize that she just kind of awkwardly left all these people hanging. Yeah, so they're they're living up to their new title card they have this season. At the beginning of every episode, they have the Supergirl S that pops up. And in the background this season, it's sort of like a rainbow of colors. (laughs) So thematically, this fits. I hadn't noticed, but I dig it. (laughs) And it was cool to see that sort of queer community and then Brainy as a Nora Divergent type character in, in sort of human terms within that environment. We had Nia's roommate interact with him a lot. And she said to him at one point, because Brainy was talking through his earpiece to Alex and Yvette was like, stop talking to yourself and dance. <laughs> so she thought that he was just like talking to himself. But I found it really like funny and kind of cool that she was just like, oh, well, <laughs> like she wasn't perturbed by it. It was just like, it's time to dance now. I mean, in the days of earpods and Bluetooth headsets, you actually never know when someone is talking to themselves versus having a real <laughs> conversation. So also true. <laughs> and that was also funny for Brainy to be hiding in a closet. Ha, yes. Yeah. However, that situation was fairly socially uncomfortable for him. So we got to see Brainy kind of out of his element and have this sort of broader range of social interactions at once at this party. And then we also got to see his one-on-one interactions with Nia, and he sort of didn't understand why Nia was being sarcastic at one point. And then when Nia said it's a date to him, he was confused about that and talked to Alex about it. And Well, I think he was skeptical a little bit. Well, Alex says it's a date does not sound uncomfortable clear. So he was perceiving it as like, is it? <laughs> but because of his difficulties understanding certain social interactions. Mm. And that little interaction between Alex and Brainy kind of reminded me of like Alex's talks with Kara. Yeah, it definitely had a little bit of like big sister vibe going on, especially because she kept getting so irritated that he was bringing up Valentine's Day and it just kept reminding her of the fact that she hadn't made progress on any of her own Mm. personal goals related to her romantic life. And she was like, I don't want to talk about this. Okay, fine. I'll give you two minutes. <laughs> yeah. In classic Alex fashion, she set a boundary and then was like, actually, you need my help. Never mind. <laughs> exactly. And then it's also reminiscent of her like helping Kara in terms of understanding that people like her, <laughs> especially in season one. Romantically like her, you mean? Yeah. Kara, how did you know that, Alex? I'm a person with eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Actual quote. <laughs> And it was 
interesting to see in terms of Rainy and Nia, how he started off kind of bluntly clarifying to Nia that this is not a date. I'm here for a different reason. And then by the end of the episode, he's disappointed that Nia now wants to train, which is what he initially wanted. But he came there to pursue this romantic connection. So we'll have to see where that relationship goes. If Nia does eventually have dreams that are less literal, perhaps Brainy will help her interpret them. Yeah, he mentioned something about having a series of mind mazes for her to work on, which you have to wonder, is that something that he's used with her descendant in the future, Mm. Nura, who's part of the Legion? Yeah. It's also interesting that Brainy's going to help Nia train and, and possibly help her interpret dreams because Nia's sister was sort of the one who had studied dreams in the family because she thought she was going to inherit the powers. But now we're seeing that possibly Nia will have someone to help her as opposed to having her own expertise in this specific dream interpretation thing. So stronger together. Speaking of which, Brady and Nia also had a very entertaining and brief interaction, but it brought up a concept that we were introduced to much earlier in the season with regard to how one handles and processes emotions, Mm -hmm. which was Brainy mentioning Lena's box system. Yeah. So Brainy suggests to Nia that she stuff her emotions, her grief about her mother into little boxes, just like Lena had suggested that Brainy do earlier on in the season. And Nia says that doesn't sound very healthy because it's not. (laughs) (laughs) It really is not. I mean, it can be useful, but... Yeah, it's a a good short-term solution, like in the situation he was in with Lena, which was an emergency. Yeah, but not something you would apply to every situation, which is something that kind of makes sense for Brainy not to immediately grasp that it's a... That's a sometimes activity. (laughs) Exactly. But uh, speaking of Lena... (laughs) And psychological patterns that are not healthy... Yeah. Oh, oh, Lena. So Lena is basically anticipating the argument that she's going to have with James. Deep down, she's always been anticipating this argument cycle. <laughs> That's just who she is. Yeah. So Lena suggests that they run away to Paris for a little bit. For a romantic Valentine's weekend. Yes. Because obviously that's what you do when you are a billionaire. (laughs) And she says this because when James gives her a Valentine's gift of a picture of her, he says, it's just how I see you when we're away from everything else and it's just you and I when it's perfect. And that gives her the idea to go away from everything that's happening in her life to it just being Lena and James alone and not having any sort of political disagreements. And I found James's about how it's perfect when it's just them together away from everything else. (laughs) A decent summary of their relationship. (laughs) When they don't have to think about the world and the fact that they disagree on so many fundamental things. Yes. But before they got to Paris, the disagreement that was brewing bubbled up and, you know, James voiced that he disagreed with the decision that Lena was making. And Lena's like, are you saying that forgiving me and us trying again was a mistake? So she takes just the fact that James was disagreeing with this very specific thing as like, this means that you don't really forgive me. Yeah, it was very Lena in the sense of being kind of all or nothing. Yeah. So it's like hit the point with Lena where I'm like, I know that you're probably against it, given the way that you've spoken about like group therapy before, but you should see a therapist maybe. (laughs) Maybe that would help you in the way that you perceive the world. Maybe you'd understand that a disagreement doesn't mean a person secretly hates you. Yeah. Which is Lena's whole thing that, you know, one strike, you're out. (laughs) Well, just that if Lena does one thing that's bad, Mm -hmm. like in her own brain, that she thinks it's a bad thing, that means that she's a bad person. And if someone else says that, that means that they think that she's a bad person. And like everything is blown up out of proportion because of the way that she perceives herself and her fears about who she could be. Yeah. And a lot of that goes back to the trauma that she experienced as a little kid, because she's still kind of very stuck in that mentality of, of seeing people as very black and white, particularly herself, and ascribing like a bad idea that somebody holds as a reflection of the fact that they are a terrible person through and through who can never change. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when Lex comes into the picture. Yep. And we're pretty sure Mama Luther will be back again at some point too. I hope so. I love Brenda. 
So in terms of the future, James says to Lena, the lady has a point. And then Lena says, the lady usually does. And this is not the first time that somebody has said something along the lines of like, Lena's right. Yeah, Kara mentioned it earlier in the season. A couple times. So at this point, because of the amount of times that it's happened, I'm like, this feels like <laughs> foreshadowing. Kind of like that whole episode where the Danvers sisters interacted a lot and reminded us why we love them working together only to be like, ah, no, they can't. <laughs> yeah. They're reminding us that everybody thinks that Lena's usually right when she says things because Lena's probably going to turn out to be really wrong about something. Possibly something right now. <laughs> possibly a decision that she's making in this, the midpoint of the season where all the storylines will start to turn. Hmm. Lena's been kind of stressed out for the whole episode, at least when we see her in moments by herself, because before James even comes in, she's staring at her phone, looking rather anxious and upset about something. Yeah. And we find out later in the episode that Colonel Haley, in addition to the things she talked about with Alex regarding her visit to the White House, was also told by President Baker to seek out Lena and make an offer for Elcorp to become a government contractor specifically on developing superpowers for humans. Mm, kind of tying into that idea that Haley expressed later on in the episode of like the DEO needing to be able to handle aliens and such themselves without Supergirl's help. So presumably Haley has this idea in mind that she will have super soldiers soon. Which is curious that they think it's going to be soon. Because <laughs> we don't know what they know about Lena's research. <laughs> True. So the whole scene with Haley and Lena was very curious. First of all, though, it it was very cool that they're finding ways for all of these different female characters to interact with each other True. that aren't weirdly artificial situations. Mm -hmm. So that was cool. But second, it supports a little bit the statement that James made to Mackenzie in the previous episode that at least some of what Lena's doing is actually on the public record and has the paperwork to back it up mm -hmm. because someone from the government is officially coming to her and saying, based on this research that we know you're doing into genetic manipulation and exploring how to give powers, we're interested in hiring your company to do that on a larger scale. Yeah. I'm assuming the part where Lena's experiments have a 15% chance of killing the person and the fact that that did in fact happen, <laughs> Adam died, as far as we know, is off the record. Which, to put the 15% into terms that will make you understand why this is high from a medical standpoint, that's a one in seven. So that's not really practical. No. If, no. if you're going to be testing it on public servants as a large group, that's a lot of people dying over something that you're not even sure is going to work. Yeah, I'm not even sure how it's going to work, given the fact that she skipped a few stages. We haven't seen her try again, as far as we know, either. Mm. Although I would not be surprised to find out that, like, she had further experiments after that. That we haven't seen yet. Yeah. Well, I told you I was wondering if she was actually stressed out about the results of further experiments mm. that she's been doing, because we haven't seen Eve in a while. Yeah, where is Eve? <laughs> What's she up to? She's got to be down there doing something in that lab. Hanging out with Adam. <laughs> ha ha ha. Adam and Eve. And one thing that Lena said regarding that whole situation and her decision that she was making, she said, this is not what I had in mind when I started my research. And I'm confused as to what she did have in mind. <laughs> yeah, she kind of made it pretty clear at Thanksgiving that she wanted to equal the playing field. Although, and I said this earlier in terms of questioning whether or not Lena was actually accepting Haley's offer at the end of the episode or if that was a misdirect and she was actually having a conversation about something else. The other thing that we saw reinforced very heavily in both the Thanksgiving episode and then the rather the Fallen Angel episode was that Lena doesn't think that those kinds of powers and responsibilities should be given to just anyone. And she specifically wanted to be the person in charge of deciding. Mm. So I don't see that value meshing well with a program that would have government oversight and they would want to put it on as many people as possible. Yeah. I mean, we saw her and her like difficulties working with the DEO before. She was resistant to like giving the DEO the kryptonite that she had created and she wanted to be the one in control. Yeah, she's not a big fan of oversight. Yeah. <laughs> Accepting a government contract is a choice that is a little at odds yeah. with what 
we know of Lena. So, which is interesting. And it's also interesting because James, who is a vigilante, is probably his values, I would think, were kind of the opposite of what Lena had said to Adam about it. Like, I don't want somebody who's a hero mm. to have these powers. Like, I, I just want someone neutral. Meanwhile, James is maybe the reason that he was into the concept as far as he was, was because he pictured sort of heroic characters. Well, and then also think about Sam's reaction when she realized that she did have power. She's like, I'm like Supergirl. Yeah. So again, thinking like, oh, that means I can help people. Yeah. So that, that sort of rift was inevitable in a way. But yeah, it is an interesting choice for Lena to go along with giving this away to the government. On a different day, this might have been, well, not in terms of militarizing it, but having some other kind of oversight would be a good thing. The political climate in National City, it's a questionable decision. (laughs) It tracks with James's characterization in terms of like him being against what DEO was doing in season one. It does because of James's place in society. He recognizes immediately Mm -hmm. the problems of militarizing a genetic experiment. He had those experiences that he talked about last season um, when he was a kid with the police. Yeah, well, I'm thinking too specifically, I think Anivo mentioned this in one of the science related episodes, like the Tuskegee experiments where the government lied to a whole community of black people and used them for genetic testing of diseases. Mm. Well then. (laughs) So it makes more sense that James would be thinking of all of the ways that this could go wrong. And in terms of looking at this from like connecting to the real world, there are lots of examples of things that went horribly wrong with government contractors Mm -hmm. in the reactions to 9-11 in particular. And this way that the government within Supergirl is responding is kind of similar. It's coming from that same emotional place of just like, I'm not used to feeling threatened by anything. So my response and reaction is going to be crush the thing Mm. because I am uncomfortable as opposed to taking a minute and actually figuring out a better long-term solution to the problem. And so you saw that with, for example prisoner abuses that were happening overseas by federal contractors who were overseeing that. And in terms of like ethical issues, there were some really big ones throughout the George W. Bush administration's approach to the war on terror. One of them involved this thing called the human terrain system, which essentially was militarizing anthropology research in order to manipulate and choose target populations abroad in order to decide like who to attack and who to neutralize. That got a lot of backlash from the professionals involved in it because they saw it as a violation of their ethical standards and the vows that they make to protect their sources, kind of like journalists. Mm -hmm. And then in a more recent example, to kind of pull back to the idea of Lena running Elcorp, which is a big kind of tech company, within the past couple of years, in the name of fighting terrorism, the FBI sued Apple, and this went all the way to the Supreme Court, because they were trying to force Apple as an independent company to intentionally put security flaws into their software so that the military and law enforcement would be able to hack people's phones and extract data from them, whereas Apple's focus has always been more so on making sure users had control over that information and who could access it. Hmm. So there's a lot of ways that this (laughs) collaboration, if it goes forward between Lena and the United States military, could go very wrong very quickly. And I expect we will also see some contrasts somewhere when we get more of a look at Kosny and Kara and how she is being used by the Kosnian government. Yeah, and so it's interesting because it ties back into the theme of the episode of whether or not you should always work with the team. (laughs) (laughs) In this case, no. (sighs) Speaking of working with a team and things related to terrorism, (laughs) we also saw the Children of Liberty having their moment in the sun, unfortunately. (laughs) First of all, the Lockwood family still exists and they are now totally on the side of yay extremism, Mm -hmm. which was disturbing, and it was meant to be disturbing. So Mm -hmm. good job there. Lockwood was released at the end of the episode because of a couple of words in a piece of congressional legislation, the Patriot Act. Yeah. So for people who either live abroad and aren't familiar with it or who are too young to remember, the Patriot Act was passed in kind of a knee-jerk response shortly after 9-11 in order to give the government more room to combat terrorism. And it's been extremely controversial ever since, although it's important to note that every president, including Obama, pushed to have it renewed. 
some of the biggest overreaches have been scaled back, but it essentially gave intelligence agencies and the military much broader freedom to eavesdrop on people within the United States and abroad. It gave them room to kind of bypass the Fourth Amendment, which is the one about searches and seizures. So they were allowed to have warrantless searches of people just on the suspicion of wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. And the reason within the context of Supergirl that they ultimately release Lockwood is that the language that defines domestic terrorism specifically says it involves acts dangerous to human life. Mm -hmm. So since Lockwood and the Children of Liberty were specifically going after aliens, even though some of them are technically citizens of the United States, they are not covered under the language of this law. Yeah. So he gets to be let free. Now, this is slightly weird because we've been seeing and hearing the fact that President Baker doesn't like Lockwood, mm -hmm. but it's not, it's not for the reasons that you'd hope he doesn't like him, <laughs> which is worrying. But we've specifically now had several characters mention that Baker's biggest annoyance is actually the fact that Agent Liberty is more popular than mm -hmm. him. And we talked earlier about how this has kind of been a nice way of them bringing in a president who's a little bit more like all these obnoxious right-wing leaders that we have in many Western countries at the mm -hmm. moment without it seeming really arbitrary. So the reason he ends up letting Lockwood go is because he figures that then the crowds protesting will disperse and people will pay less attention to him. Mm -hmm. And the worrying part is, what exactly has Baker been planning that we're getting these hints of through Haley and then these little scenes at the White House that is going to make the Children of Liberty irrelevant? Mm. We don't know yet, but obviously there's something if he's trying to come approach Lena about creating super soldiers and then mentioning that there's another law coming out that he wants to put into place. He's colluding with Russia. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be the social commentary? <laughs> yeah. You also noticed the TVs that were in the Oval Office, which I missed. Yeah. Which was a nice touch. That was a nice, subtle, subtle touch there. The president within the universe of Supergirl is so concerned with his image that he keeps a TV by his desk. Two TVs. <laughs> oh, there were two. I didn't even notice this. <laughs> Somewhat like our current president, who apparently can only digest information if it's delivered by television. <laughs> and then to go back to this issue of trying to figure out what Baker is up to, you noticed kind of the way he talked about menagerie. Mm -hmm. Haley said to Alex that the president wants her made an example of. So she's put in a prison rather than locked away in the DEO because the prison is more public. And it's just interesting because, you know, the word menagerie means like a collection of wild animals kept in captivity for exhibition. Mm, yeah, that was a nice tie-in. And Menagerie is a character from the comics, a part of the elite, which we will be seeing in the next episode. Yes, which that's why the title of the next episode is what it is. It's one of the comic episodes about the elite. Mm -hmm. What's so funny about truth, justice, and the American way? Two characters take the name of Menagerie in the comics. Neither of them have this character's name. However, they are sisters and are having a lot of siblings featured in this season of Supergirl. And sibling strife. <laughs> yes, lots of that. And that was something I liked about this episode in particular in terms mm. of it being a sort of space fam focused episode. Yeah, especially since they also deliberately themed it around Valentine's Day since that's the week that it aired. Yeah. It was a nice choice to focus on kind of the family aspects of love and connection to people. Mm -hmm. A nice development from the Valentine's Day episode we had in season two. In this episode, the focus was the family, but then there were also moments of romance sprinkled in and certain interactions like with Brainy and Nia, of course. Alex had that interaction with Becca. Well, and you also had James and Lena at the start of the episode. Mm -hmm. There was also a nice kind of balance there in the sense that you had Rainy and Nia kind of tentatively trying to begin something and then James and Lena's ending. relationship mm, ending. That's nice. And then maybe maybe there was another beginning in this episode with Miss Stewart, who <laughs> we saw briefly interact with Jean. I'm just saying. Well, Kara certainly convinced. <laughs> so am I. <laughs> 
Hmm. But that would make sense for them to sort of introduce like a touch of that in this episode. Hmm. Well, and it was also neat, though, that the language of this episode was very carefully chosen between like Jean, Alex and Kara to continue to emphasize the fact that over these three and a half seasons, they genuinely are a family at this point. Yeah. Like Jean specifically refers to them as a family when he and Kara are talking about their concerns regarding Alex, which was really sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he says, I feel like this mind wipe has hurt our family in so many more ways than we could ever foresee. And then you noticed Alex had a line to Karin Jean. Yeah, that was really cute when she was leaving to go back to work. She gave each of them a hug and specifically said, I love you both before she left, Mm -hmm. which is the first time we've actually seen her say that. Like, she's obviously expressed this to Kara and to Jean independently, but I don't think she's ever said that to Jean out loud. Mm. So that was kind of cool. And it's nice after the season where we've seen the three of them interact and like have dinner and establish that even if they're not working together, they're still like a family to have this episode kind of explicitly state it in a couple different ways. Yep. And then there's also the theme of family with Kara trying to get Nia to join the family. Kara's really looking for that third Skylar sister. <laughs> yeah. Wynn's gone. <laughs> Wynn is gone. They need someone to fill that hole. <laughs> yeah. So I quite enjoyed this episode. Indeed. And you can look forward to our next episode in two weeks and we'll see you then. Thanks for listening. <laughs>